John here, and we've got a new sponsor, DistroKid. Now that you've finished your latest Pirate Math SpongeCore Twitch trek, it's time to get it out there so everyone can hear it. DistroKid helps musicians get their music on all the major streaming platforms, and artists keep 100% of their royalties. And because you're a high-gain listener, you get 30% off. Just go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash high gain. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash high gain. And now DistroKid has an app. The DistroKid app is available for iOS and Android. You can download it at distrokid.com slash app or in the app and play stores. We'd like to take a minute to thank our pals over at Isotope, makers of software and plugins for audio repair, mixing, and mastering. The new gold standard of audio repair, Isotope RX11, is coming in May. Buy RX10 now on sale and get RX11 absolutely free when it's released. We use Isotope products here at the High Gain. It's an important part of how we've been able to bottle pure podcast gold week after week. High Gain listeners get 10% off using the promo code FRET10. That's F-R-E-T-1-0. That's all at isotope.com. I-Z-O-T-O-P-E dot com. Hey, this is Ed Peterson. And this is John Kiltica, Ed. John? Yes? It's the High Gain Podcast. It totally is. What are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about guitars and pedals and smashing the patriarchy. Oh, I love it. Yeah. That's my favorite. That's my favorite Sunday activity or Wednesday when this drops. Yes. Where are you recording from, John? Well, same place as you. Okay. We are in a lovely basement in Uh beautiful West Seattle, Washington. Oh, that's great. But that is not the end of it, Ed. No? No. Okay. We have a guest from all the way on the other side of the country. We will have to ask her if she herself is in a basement or not. Hillary B. Jones, are you there? I'm here reporting from a basement. Yes! She's in a basement! (laughs) (laughs) That is great. That bodes well for our connection, I think. You know, psychically and physically in our uh, internet connection. (laughs) Yeah. You know, John and I were talking and like, if we're going to be smashing patriarchy, we needed help. That's right. I'm here for you. It's a little bit at a time, but you know. Sure. Teamwork. Yeah, exactly. Do you want to tell our viewers who you are and what you do? Sure. My name's Hillary Jones, and most folks who listen to this might know me from the podcast Midriff. I also do work with companies around uh, gender, equity, diversity, workplace culture, mostly folks within the music gear industry. So that's kind of my main focus area. So I do like workshops and I help folks with their values, basically holistically making sure their company is uh, doing the right thing. (laughs) And then I teach a class at Rhode Island School of Design here and there. And I was previously the director of our local girls rock camp here for about 10 years. And I play guitar. Nice. Being involved in music and playing, is that what got you to the intersection of those two spaces? Yes. I played in bands since I was 14 or 16, I guess. And then in college, I was in psychology and gender studies. And that was sort of my interest. And so all that came together. I heard about the idea of girls rock camps 
from like John Loder or something on MTV <laughs> in like 2002 or something. And I was like, that sounds awesome. Also, I'm going to grad school across the country, so I can't do it. But then I kind of always just kept it in the back of my head. I don't know how much you know about rock camps or not, but the idea is that you learn an instrument, you join a band, you write an original song in five oh. days, and then you perform it live. And it's mostly, depending on the camp, but our camp, it's like girls, women, trans, and non-binary folks. It's just magical. <laughs> it's so wow. great. You do the music part, but then there's also a lot of workshops. So you do workshops on like privilege and oppression, healthy relationships, all kinds of things like that that are useful. And so that's, I think, what makes rock camps different from going to a camp where you like learn how to play all ACDC songs or whatever. We do a camp for youth and a camp for adults. And the adults, especially, they would leave camp and then they'd go back to their jobs and be like, oh, my brain, like, I feel like I've been in this beautiful supportive bubble and now I have to go back to my job. Okay, well, what if we make people's jobs also part of the bubble? Like, how do you make people's jobs better? Right. Even like for youth, you're having this cool experience at camp, but then you go to actually play a show somewhere and everybody's being jerks. How do you make all of the music spaces or workspaces related to music better? That was sort of the idea with the transition there. So you go and work with manufacturers, I'm guessing, mm -hmm. talking to pedal folks. That just sounds awesome <laughs> across the board. It totally is. Yeah. I feel very lucky to be able to do the work that I do. So cool to think, okay, I'm going to go help make this company better. And I get to look at it and talk about a bunch of gear. Right. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a win-win. Beverages. Beverages, Ed. That was the beverage song. That was so beautiful. Oh, my God. <laughs> Believe it or not, that was not an actual drummer, Hillary. Yeah. No. Yeah. Get out of town. Yeah. Did anybody recognize the song? Oh. I was trying. As I was listening, I was like, I know I'm supposed to know what this is, but I don't off the top of my head. Yeah, I think you didn't hit the chorus. You didn't hit the obvious, like... Oh, that is... <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh-oh. Whoops. It is called Devil or Angel, and it was a hit yeah. for singer Bobby V in 1960. Hmm. I don't know if I know that song. Bobby V? V-E-E? -E? V E E. Real name Robert Thomas Valine. Oh no. Oh. Oh no, John. Yeah, we lost him in 2016. Born and raised in Fargo, North Dakota. Yeah. I feel like this is gonna come back later. <laughs> Maybe. You want to help Ed out here, Hillary? I'm from Fargo, North Dakota. Uh, <laughs> well, I am just shocked that you didn't know what that song was then. Come on. You know, <laughs> I'm pretty old, but I'm yeah. not quite that old. I did know that Bobby B was from there, though literally I, I have honestly forgotten. Yeah. <laughs> Which I now feel terrible about on behalf of Fargo and Bobby B and his family. Well, you know, it's a weird piece of trivia I found out while finding that song. Yeah. Recorded in 1959, and it was a hit in 1960. 
when he was playing around the Fargo area, he would pick up local musicians to play the gigs with him. One such musician was a guy who called himself Elston Gunn, G-U-N-N. That's what he called himself? Yes. That wasn't his actual name? It was not. Okay. He would go on later to call himself Bob Dylan. Oh. Oh. (laughs) Wow. Isn't that crazy? That makes sense. In Fargo? He's from the Twin Cities. I did not know. I can't remember what town he's actually from. Hibbing. Hibbing, Minnesota. Classic. I had a great, great aunt or something who lived in Walker, Minnesota. Nice. On Leech Lake. Mm-hmm. Yep, I'm familiar. And I spent several summers swimming in Leech Lake. I actually have a lot of childhood memories of Minnesota that are super lovely. I was there at a lake like two weeks ago. Is it still super lovely? It's still super lovely, except the Canadian wildfires were going oh, by there. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Hillary, do you have a beverage? I have two. Oh, the best. <laughs> Tell us about those beverages. They are not exciting. One is, get this, tap water. Ah, It's here for me when I need it. A classic. The other is coffee. That is the perfect combination. What do you take in your coffee? Cream and sugar. Oh. Yeah. The only difference between your beverage and my beverage is my water has a little bit of bubbles in it. And I'm having a coffee, but I have no cream or sugar in it. I have Joy Root Tulsi Ginger Herbal Tea. No idea. It confuses me. It's just some tea made out of some weird root. Someone pulled some roots out of the ground, and there you go. (laughs) Sounds delightful. It's very delicious. You are in Rhode Island? Indeed. I think if we went to the Florida Keys, that is as far away from (laughs) Seattle as we could get. But I think Rhode Island is pretty close. It's pretty close. And you are in Cranston, is that right? Yes, it's right outside of Providence. Beautiful. One of the hubs Uh for Noise Rock. John and I had this discussion about Noise Rock not too long ago. Good. Do you know the band Parts and Labor? Yeah. I don't think I realized that Noveller... Sarah Lipstate? Yeah. I did not realize she's on 2008's Receivers, that album. No kidding. Yeah. Huh. Totally. I was just going through their discography again and was like, what the fuck? Sarah Lipstate's on this? Like, that's so weird. (laughs) That doesn't entirely surprise me. Is Noise Rock still a big thing there in Rhode Island? Not as much as it was when I first moved here, that's for sure. Fargo was really noise rock oriented, and then Providence is like more noise oriented, which is a delineation that might not be clear to the general public, but it's a real delineation. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, John. Yes. That guitar looks like it looks like a Mosrite. I think John is just playing a Mosrite, but it's not. <laughs> Mosrite guitars like the Ventures would play or. Kurt Cobain. Nor is it a Univox, like High Flyer. That was my follow-up. Yep, just like a Univox High Flyer is what it looks like, yeah. Here it might be appropriate to mourn the loss of our good friend, Pedro Morales. Oh no. Did you know Pedro? I did not. He was a famous wrestler. Okay. Okay. This guitar is a Morales. Was it made by Pedro Morales? No, but it was named after him. (laughs) Oh, okay. Is this like 
the show wrestling or is this like Olympic gold medal? Closer to the show wrestling. Yeah, in the 60s, they did the crazy stuff where they would like cut each other as they were down, like doing the holds. Whoa. So they would come up and they would be covered in blood. <laughs> they were gore shows. Well, our man Pedro yeah. begins his professional career in 1959. Okay. The same year that Bobby V is recording... <laughs> what? Devil or Angel. Like, is this amazing, the way John just ties this stuff together? Like It really is. You expect to be done with the boomerangs, and then something comes and just hits you on the back of the head, and like, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> In 1965, he defeated yeah. the Executioner, oh. the Axeman, oh. and the Hangman before finally defeating the Destroyer to win the WWA World Heavyweight Championship. I thought you were going to say defeating himself. Oh, oh self-defeating. That would have been yeah. dark. Pedro. <laughs> Subsequent tours ensued, one of which was to Japan, where the Japanese were nutty for the American-style show wrestling. Okay. Pedro would eventually go on to be the first person to win three championships simultaneously. Three belts. Okay. He became super-duper famous. Around that time, the Zenon company in Japan has switched over from acoustic guitars to electric. They want to make a guitar that looks like a Mosrite. What sure. should we call it? Hmm. Well, this wrestler guy is popular. Let's just call it a Morales. That's crazy. And that's what they did. Did they actually have him sort of promoting or? No, I could find no record of that, but I could see him using it because this thing weighs like a ton and a half. <laughs> Easily heavier than a folding chair. <laughs> oh, great. So it's got like two kind of P90-ish looking pickups. Yeah. Single coil. Uh -huh. It has what looks like a Bigsby, but it's not. It doesn't say Morales on the headstock, but it says Morales on the trim. And as you can hear, it's noisy. <laughs> and it doesn't stay in tune really very well either. It's the perfect guitar. It doesn't stay in tune. It's noisy. <laughs> perfect. Full of copyright infringement. Love it. I looked it up. It looks beautiful. The one John is holding looks brand new. What color is it? It is sunburst. Nice. Oh, God. Snapped a string. This is awesome. John. Oh, my God. <laughs> that you one wasn't that. staying in tune anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody cares. Yeah. They didn't make these for very long. The Zenon company that I mentioned, yeah, they got out of electric guitars in 69. Yeah. yeah, I've never seen or heard of a Morales before. The inlays are double dots, except at the 12th fret, which is a triple dot. Mm -hmm. The old triple dot. Yeah. Let me tell you what I think of this guitar. What do you think? I think that on the Midriff podcast Instagram, yes, Hillary posts these Friday jammers. Yes. This guitar and a Friday jammer, that's like chocolate and peanut butter. <laughs> I'm on board. Those riffs you do are so great. Thank you. They're just so hard. I love them. <laughs> We've had one band practice. We had one in May since the pandemic started, and it's been the only way I can play music. Normally how I write music is little tiny riffs. I'm just doing them instead of with my band and in front of an audience. I'm doing it on the internet. And your current band is Alpha Error? Yep. 
Hey, Ed, you want to hear some of that? Yeah, do you got something queued up for me? I do. This is called Soft Boycott, and you are on guitar on this one, Hillary? Yes. I think that's right up my alley. Yeah, me too. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Thank you. We were together for about a year and a half before the pandemic hit and our singer moved to Chicago. So we're like going to end up totally reforming probably with the new singer uh, at some point in the very near future. The pandemic, like, has it changed? (laughs) Yeah. What a dumb question. (laughs) Have you found that the pandemic has caused any changes in your life? insightful like i started working from home a little bit before the pandemic anyway as i was transitioning out of my role at our rock camp here and so when my five-year-old was home from school i just moved my entire office into my basement where my music stuff is and so that's been the only real transition is i'm just spending all of my time in the basement (laughs) yeah the midriff podcast you're sponsored by earthquaker Mm mm-hmm How did that come about? Had you worked with them in the corporate setting? Well, so when I was sort of starting this transitional thing into this new work, I had reached out to my buddies at Empire Guitars and just was like, who do you think might be receptive to this type of thing? And Earthquake were the first folks that they kind of really mentioned. And so I reached out to them and Julie was like super on board. So then I started doing work with them that's kind of where the sponsorship started. So I've been working with them in different ways over the last year, which has been interesting too, with regard to the pandemic, because initially I was doing trainings with them online. And then in June, I actually went out to Akron and did trainings in person with them because I could. (laughs) Who knows whether that would happen now at this point, but yeah, they've been so supportive. Do you suppose the music industry is more open to learning about this stuff by nature of the fact that so many people are open-minded and creative to begin with? Or does that not apply? It's interesting the ways that people want to like do this rock and roll thing and break the rules. But then somehow a lot of the things that happen in the wider culture when it comes to power end up replicating themselves in the smaller subcultures of yeah. rock and even like all the subgenres and everything too. In some ways, because people want to think that it's not there, sometimes it's hard to bring it up. What do you see as one of the more intractable problems in that regard? Yeah. I mean, I think that what ends up happening is that there is this pushback where people think that, well, there's just not enough women. We couldn't include more women because there weren't enough. People are just so used to being like, well, here's my buddy. I'm just going to have my buddy do this thing, whether it's like play my show or work at my company or whatever the thing is, where like if they went like two steps out from there, they could find someone else. You know, that's a big issue in music generally and in the music gear industry. It's a lot of small companies where people are just like hiring the nearest buddy that they have. And that ends up creating a culture in the company that's just very homogenous. It's you and your buddy who think alike. Then once you try to go outside of that, it becomes harder because you have this very specific culture. We've done the thing, John and I, where social media is a 
quick vetting process, I think, for us and the guests we have and the brands we support. Mm -hmm. There are brands that you just kind of know, like Earthquaker or Chase Bliss. You just get a vibe from the company, from social media, that they are more progressive. I don't know if that's good or bad. I don't know, honestly. It is at least one factor that makes sense to consider, I think. Yeah. I've had this conversation with a number of folks too. It's interesting to me that, you know, you can see in specifically pedal companies, it's about getting weird, right? Yeah. The idea is that you are more open to things because sonically you're more open to different things. Not across the board, of course. This is just a pattern that I have seen a little bit. Yeah. Whether or not that's real, I don't know, but I would hope that other folks in other companies would be down for that too. And maybe some social media is just intrinsically a cesspool. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> the gear page, it's like, go there if you just want to like regurgitate filth. Wallow. <laughs> yeah. I think there's also the whole older, more well-established brands versus younger upstart. You know, when you've got a CEO who's 60 years old and is just really into blues rock, I, that's a terrible generalization <laughs> that I'm making. But there you go. That, that is sort of my job on this show, though. Yeah, you know, Ed is the canary in the coal mine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have so much more faith in the kids than anyone my age. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think of that Morales guitar, John? What do I think of it? Yeah. All the details that would make it a Moserite copy are there. When they set about doing this, they yeah. must have had a Moserite that they were measuring and assessing because everything's the way you would expect. It's just heavy as balls. <laughs> <laughs> it weighs a lot. I had a high flyer bass that I played in bands for years, and the neck was just like super thin and the action was really good. And I don't know if that's the case there. Well, the action is really good on this, but the neck, I don't think I'd call the neck super thin. Mm -hmm. I guess just normal. Yeah. But it's a ply neck, all kind of laminated together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I can't tell, is that the finish or is it actually like a ply on the body as well, where there's a clearly defined line that almost looks like it's a different piece? Yeah. I, it, I don't know. This thing's a little dopey. But... <laughs> <laughs> If you want to just do your noisy stuff. Sure, put that on. Wait, turn that pog off for a sec. Turn that phantom off. <laughs> yeah, that. Will it doom? Sure. And then you put on some more doomage. That's, uh... That pedal that John was just playing was the Earthquaker Devices Life pedal. Oh, man. Yeah. I was like, that sounds so mean, and that explained it. Yeah, that pedal's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so this is the perfect kind of trashy guitar for doing that kind of thing. Sure. If you want to womp on it till it goes out of tune, then just like throw it in the dumpster <laughs> on your way out, then there you go. Sure. How do you approach gear purchases? You definitely have a pretty broad mix of guitars and basses that you play. And pedals. Yeah. I, for my entire life, had been a humbucker person. 
forever. I think just at some point I was like, I always play with distortion, so I need to have humbuckers. I don't know why, I guess, was it green to me as a young person and it just never left. Mm-hmm. And then at some point in the last, I don't know, six months or something, I realized that I actually love single coils. And that's been my most recent sort of thing. Before that, I had one guitar or one single coil and that was it. So I was like, I need to investigate the situation and see what I even like anymore. I'm like, do I like P90s now? Who am I? She Shreds magazine does this January thing, one riff a day, where you play like one riff every day for the month of January. Right. And so I went through and for me, I was sort of like trying out different guitars and I was like trying out different ways to record and things. And so I realized I really liked the sound of the single coil and the lone single coil that I owned. And so I was like, maybe I should try others. Yeah. <laughs> and so I did. And it's great. Have you purchased anything recently that's in the single coil camp? Yeah, I have two kind of recent single coil purchases. One is a GNL SE3. One of the older SC3s? Yeah, it's from like the mid-80s, maybe. Yeah, those are great. It sounds awesome. The pickups are ridiculous. And then the other thing I've gotten recently is a PV Patriot. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> Which is so awesome. It is so busted, and I love how busted it is. Is the neck on that one pretty thin? That one is pretty thin, and it's got a little bit almost of a V to it, I would say. That is one thing with this podcast is it's been literally a different guitar every show. We like everything, kind of. Mm -hmm. You can do something cool with anything, really. Yeah. I find myself far more drawn to a lot of the weirdo guitars. I am 100% on board for weird guitars. I just love them. You talk in one of your blog posts about gear and class privilege. Ultimately, I don't think you need to have a lot of gear, and gear is not the most important part of music. I think it's a tool, and it can help you change the way you play. You know, if you play a different guitar, you might play a different way, or, you know, a particular pedal might lead you to be creative in a different way. Um, and that is a privilege, I think, to have access to different pieces of gear all the time. But I think that, you know, somebody getting up there and, like, playing really creative stuff on the same guitar every week is awesome. I question myself sometimes as being part of gear culture that I'm sort of replicating the idea that that is the most important thing. And it's, it's not, it's cool and it's great to have the opportunity to do that, but it's not the only important thing. I think we're all guilty of it to some degree. Well, it's because you get to talk about something that you know about now. That's really what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I think my favorite part of this show is that I get to play this part, which is not actually playing a part. It's that I'm actually the dummy. <laughs> like, like I actually don't know a whole lot. What's that piece called again? It's a knob, Ed. It's the volume knob. <laughs> like, like uh, yeah. Also from your blog, I enjoyed your post about guitargan. Oh, yeah. What are your pet peeves? You know, people want to show that they know what they're talking about. So they'll use those words as a way both to signal that they're knowledgeable and having that knowledge is a form of power. And then also to signal that they're part of this in-group where it's like, oh, I can talk about, I don't know. Pups. Pups. Yeah, exactly. Pups. Pups. I always use the example of tall font versus bubble font big muffs. That level of specificity that people have around gear, it's like a way of showing that you are part of the group and worthy and that you have some status because the knowledge is power. Is it worth trying to confound that, do you think? 
I think to some degree, yeah. Just because somebody's in a conversation and they don't know what something is, it doesn't mean that it's not valuable to have them in the conversation and that they shouldn't be included. I think early on, we did a little bit of that. You know, different pickups are different loud. Rather than talking about that in those terms, we just randomly applied the Richter scale to pickups. Mm. And to this day, I don't know what that actual number is called. (laughs) And I do not care. That and different clipping diodes. Like those are the two things for me that I have a difficult time wrapping my brain around. You mean like germanium or silicone? Germanium versus silicone or whatever, you know. (laughs) I read that post as well. And the thing was, you called out probably eight or 10 examples. And I think I knew like two of them. (laughs) The Big Muff example specifically, I had no idea that was a thing. I looked at my Big Muff. I'm like, I don't know, which one is this? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The thing I think I mentioned in this as well, that comes up a lot around this is related to the idea of mansplaining. So if somebody's like going in and explaining what a jazz master is after you just mentioned jazz master pickups or something. You know, I'm trying to think of a good example, but like, that's kind of what I'm thinking of. I think women get that a lot in music stores. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I can't even imagine. Oh. Almost every episode, every guest that I have on the podcast, when you ask them about any stories they've had, it's always about a guitar shop. Almost always. And it's a bummer because then they're just like, well, so now I just shop online forever. This is my life. That's horrible. You lose the opportunity to have conversations, to, to learn, to be part of that culture, to try new things in person in that way. You know, for me, as a person who loves guitar shops, I worked in a guitar shop. I really appreciate guitar shop culture when it's not like that. And it bums me out that people don't have access to that because people are just so wrapped up in explaining things <laughs> in a really terrible way. Or because people are worried about trying something out in the store because they are new and they don't know very much yet. Like the idea of stereotype threat, where it's like a woman goes into a shop and she knows that she doesn't know about this particular thing. So she asks a question about it, but she doesn't want to confirm the stereotype that she doesn't know what she's talking about. Gross. Right. As somebody who cares about people and somebody who cares about guitar shops and culture, like the thing that separates guitar shops from online is that there's the opportunity to provide great customer service and encourage people to be part of that culture. And if you're not providing that, people are just going to go online. Like, that's just what it is. Where did you get that guitar from, John? Where did I get this one? Yeah. This comes to us from our good friends over there at ThunderRoadGuitars.com. Speaking of inclusive, friendly, helpful guitar shops, what I want to say is I have no vested interest in this. That's clearly not true. I mean, they are our friends and our guitar shop. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, we can have each one of these individual conversations, too. And I think any individual one, a lot of people be like, why are you overreacting about this thing? Why are you overreacting about this thing? Why are you overreacting about this thing? And it's not just that it's one thing. It's like the combination of all of the things, right? All of those things together represents a problem. I just want to point that out. Oh, I walk into the gear store and Guy immediately comes to man and talks about this creamy guitar called Betsy. That has a picture of a naked lady on it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's not the use of the word creamy to describe tone. (laughs) I think I mentioned this at some point recently, but like on social media, if somebody posts a picture of a really beautiful guitar and somebody posts like the sploosh water emoji, that's what that reminds me of. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's horrible. Exactly. I'm going to switch gears on us here. Do it. I don't think... People have to grow during COVID or anything like that. Like you don't need to pick up a new skill or anything. But I'm curious, 
Did you find yourself playing more, playing less? Yeah, I've certainly been playing a lot more personally. I can't say that I'm like getting better because I don't have good practice skills, I guess. But I've definitely played a lot more, playing a lot more by myself versus playing less with my band, you know. Right. I'm in the exact same boat where it's like, I'll try to learn these jazz chords that I've never (laughs) actually like figured out. I am a person who never really has been into theory. I've tried to learn it a million times. And that is one thing that I have actually tried. The thing that I figured out, I'm like, oh, I know why theory's never stuck is because I actually don't know the fretboard. Sure. I guess it helps to know the notes that you're playing to be able to apply it. So I've been working on that. And I did actually take a series of lessons over the last month or so with Sarah Lando. And she's great. But uh, (laughs) it's hard when you get stuck. It's easy to get stuck in the same thing. And I'm trying to break out of it. That is 100% the boat I'm in. I've been playing guitar for 30 years or something. I plateaued about 29 years ago. (laughs) I'm with you. You know? What's next for Hillary B. Jones, podcaster, blogger, professor? Recording artist. Recording artist. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, I'm going to continue to work with companies. Very excited about that. I've been spending this long time trying to figure out the best way to release this survey that I'd done, which is the Gender and Music Gear Experience Survey, which was done with about a thousand participants. Whoa. Yeah. It looks at people's experience in shops, online, in social media, related to gender and gear. That'll come out sometime when I can figure out the best way to get it out to the world. And where can people find out about all these various things? You can find out about Midriff on my website, hillarybjones.com. Midriff is also there. You can listen there, or I'm on Instagram at Midriff Podcast. And it's got a lot of rippers on there. Friday rippers. (laughs) Check the Friday rippers because I'm super into it. By the way, the plants in the background, is that green screen or do you have like a wall of plants? It is certainly a cloth backdrop that just has plants on it. That's super good. It makes you feel better when you're in the basement, so I recommend it. This basement's cozy. We're surrounded by gear. I guess that's cozy. That sounds good. Ed? Yeah. Where can people find us? Instagram. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Thehighgain.com. Yep. They could go to Facebook or Pinterest or Twitter or uh, LinkedIn. Yep. (laughs) TikTok. I'm a horrible dancer. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, everybody, take all of that information, put it in a big stack. Right. Fire up the internet web box. Yep. Go check that stuff out. Love it. But in the meantime, yeah, Hillary B. Jones, it has been our pleasure to talk to you, and thank you so much for coming and enlightening our dumbasses. <laughs> thank you so much. This was super fun. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you. I'll get to you, everybody. Bye. Thanks. <laughs>